As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the 3-0 Show, part of the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Thursday, April 21st. Derek Van Riper, Pritcheroli, and Eno Saris all here. The band is back together on this episode. We'll talk about what matters to us this early in the season. Something about April baseball and trying to analyze April baseball is always a little strange because we're trying to put so much weight on 10 games or 12 games. And for pitchers, we're talking about Two starts so far in most cases. We'll talk about some teams that are off to surprisingly fast starts that we might actually believe in as having better 2022 fortunes than we expected and a few other things that have caught our eye. Plus, we give out our highly valuable week two awards for pitcher of the week and hitter a week. And we have Brit's bold predictions for the season. Since she wasn't here last week, we still have them. She still gets to share the spiciest predictions possible Eno and I will grade them on our one to five hot sauce scale. So a lot of ground to cover. And I want to kick things off with a question that Eno started to answer on Twitter earlier this week. You know, what matters to you this early and what should matter to all of us this early when we're looking at individual player performances? Well, there's a big clue if you're watching on YouTube. <laughs> My name today is Chase Wright. <laughs> Uh, I've got such country hits as, uh, I lost my dog. Uh, but, uh, chase rate is, uh, how often a hitter swings at pitches outside the zone. Uh, so, uh, that is actually sort of important right now because, you know, we're looking for denominator. I know I hate to be such a math guy, Great word. like we're, we're looking, we're looking for denominator because what you said is if we're looking at something that happens once a game or something, that's 12, we have 12 of that, right? If then, if you're looking at plate appearance or something, you might have 40 of that, right? But if you look at something that's per pitch, you can actually have maybe 200 pitches seen by now. Uh, you know, for, for some of the hitters. And so you have a bigger sample then. You have 200 instead of instead of talking about 12. And so looking at pitches outside the zone, um, you can see if a pitcher has drastically improved their, uh, their strike recognition or if they've changed their approach somehow at the plate. 
that's uh, one thing I look at. Another thing I look at is barrel rate because it's really predictive of power and it becomes meaningful in 50 balls in play. Now, right now we have players that are have sort of 25 to 30 balls in play. So they're not quite there. So it's not like you can just say, oh, because this guy has a great barrel rate, he is now great. But uh, we're closer to that than something like batting average. Batting average doesn't become meaningful until a year and a half of play. (laughs) So, yeah. So uh, batting average is not predictive, but barrel rate is. So I try to use barrel rate and chase rate. Those are my two favorite. I will look at uh, something like swinging strike rate. Uh, that can give me a sense. That's also over a number of pitches seen or number of swings. Uh, so that can give you an idea of uh, somebody that's just making a lot more contact. Um, and then lastly, because barrel rate is not totally ready yet, uh, not fully baked, I would take... Uh, that's a good way to describe it on 420. Uh, the uh, I, <laughs> I will take... Uh, also hard hit rate, which is just how often they hit the ball over 95 miles an hour. It's not, it's like a sort of a a blunt tool. It's not very good at telling you about power because you could be hitting the ball 95 miles an hour on the ground. However, early on, I'd like to know who's hitting the ball hard. How about you, Britt? What matters to you this early? I I was going to mention hard hit rate if you had an Eno, because I think you ran the gamut of important things, Um, especially this early, like you said, Um, it's tough to say, like, for instance, I was watching the Orioles game the other day, Trey Mancini has three balls that, you know, two of them are probably out later, a month later in the season when it's not so cold. Um, I think you saw last night, even with the Mike Shremsky ball with the Giants Mets game. Um, so you kind of wonder like, where does that go? Where does that factor in? And if you look at some of those peripheral stats that you mentioned, I think you can not panic. It's also April 20th and every GM, manager, uh, person in baseball, the old adage is you get to the quarter pole before you look at the stats, right? You get to about Memorial Day before you have a decent enough sample size to say where things are trending. We're too early, in my opinion, to even talk about trends, right? Like it is such a small sample size. It's hard to not overreact. But I think going by Eno's numbers, you can kind of get a sense of, okay, who's who's pressing early, who's not feeling it early, uh, who may start to get on track here. It's interesting you mentioned league-wide trends because those do uh, those are meaningful even when you're talking about players. And 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 I think we're if you're talking about the whole league, if you adjust for certain things, then you can start to talk about how offense is down and homers are down. Uh, because if you if you adjust for the temperature, then it doesn't matter as much that it's super cold, right? Um, and because you can actually sort of use math to adjust for temperature. Uh, Derek Cardi did that recently and found that homers are back down to around 2018 levels, maybe even lower. Um, so we've got a question of how much are the humidors changing things? Do we guess wrong on how the humidors would change things? Are the humidors going to change things differently early in the season than later in the season, which is possible because humidity changes over the course of a season. Um, and then, and then the ball, the freaking ball, the ball. We were supposed to get a deadened ball last year, and they ran out of stock. And so we got 50% deadened ball and 50% 2020 balls. What are we getting this year? If we're getting 2020, uh, 2020 balls or 2021 balls, maybe the ball is the source of uh, the, uh, the offense going down and not the humidors. So... That's something that I would take into consideration with something like Jesse Winker. Jesse Winker has a good chase rate. He's seen the ball really well. 
Um, he is in a new park, so you, you expect some of his power to go down. But he also has like four warning track flyouts. Is that temperature? Is that the new ball? Is it the new humidor? It's really hard to figure that part out. So that's why you try to look at some of the process stats. That's why I do like chase rate, because at least the, the guy's seeing the ball well. Yeah. The other thing I want to point out, too, though, is that pitchers are always ahead of hitters coming out of spring training. This yeah. year, there was an abbreviated spring training. Did that change? And also, teams have extra roster spots. Almost all of them have chosen to load up on pitching because yes. we've seen starters. I think Max Scherzer was the first one of the first starters to go as deep as he went last night. Certainly the first Mets starter, and they've been leading baseball when it comes to rotation uh pitching at least into the seventh inning so how much of that too is the fact that you're basically getting these shortened starts and you're getting these bullpen games as well uh which makes it a lot harder for guys i think too you're not getting that third time through the order sometimes you're not even getting the second time fully through the order for starters this early on yeah that's i think that is another thing that's really hard to pull out of that you know lowered homer number right like we're not looking at the same rosters that we'll look at the rest of the season we're not looking at the same rosters we looked at the end, end of last season and then you know i think it's it's also important to note that um hitters like there's a shape of the season to hitters as a whole and in fact they swing when you say that hitters are behind part of that is they swing less early on and early in the season, they swing less. And partially what they're trying to do is just see the pitches, see the bat, see, you know, like get acquainted with new stuff, new pitchers, you know, uh, just sort of get their timing down, all that sort of deal. And so what you'll find is if you look at a leaderboard right now that just looks at swing rate uh, over the last few seasons, uh, the lowest two swing rates are 2022 and 2020. Well, 2020, uh, they had the fewest amount of later on you know what i mean uh they had they had like the first three weeks of adjustment and then there was like you know it was half the season was gone and then 2022 we're early in the season so i would expect swing rates to go up a little bit and that's another thing to consider i guess when you're when you're looking at players but generally if they're not reaching at pitches they're not pressing one thing you can see for example is that aaron judge and joey gallo are hitting the ball really hard in new york that part is good they're both reaching they're both chasing pitches outside the zone way more above their their regular rate and i just think that that's part of the package in new york right you just you every night is questions afterwards by the media the media is larger larger media contingent than anywhere else you know there's the the shows the tv shows the back page of the post you know there's all this <laughs> stuff right so i just feel like you know i think they're pressing I think Gallo and Judge are pressing, and that's part of why the Yankees aren't scoring as many runs. Yeah, so I know Britt wanted to talk about the Yankees today, and every time I think about the Yankees in April, I think it's not nearly as bad as people make it out to be. But the one thing I would be really worried about if I rooted for that team would be Garrett Cole. Like Garrett Cole should be a constant. As an ace, he should be five-plus innings easily, dominance more often than not, and still good enough to get you in a position to win a game on the nights that he doesn't have his best stuff. Well, they won. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> Clark Schmidt Sorry. came in and that saved the day. That's a little trolling. <laughs> you gotta love that. How much of their problems extend beyond what Eno was describing and Garrett Cole's bumpy start here? I mean, we know Cole later last season wasn't as good as he was earlier in the year, but 
this is a different sort of problem for him early on. So is the sky actually falling in the Bronx, Brit, or is this just the standard overreaction to a little bit of a sluggish start for the Yankees? So there's a couple reasons I think I'd be concerned if I was the Yankees. One, um, you have to beat up on the bad teams. Losing a series to Baltimore when everyone's offense is down is inexcusable. A big reason why they played that wild card game at Fenway Park last year was because they couldn't beat the Orioles down the stretch when it counted. So, yes, it's early, but these games still count. And so I think you have to be a little concerned when you're going against a team like Baltimore early on. You have to be able to beat them. I don't care what your offense is doing. Secondly, when it comes to Cole, not only last night, but one of his previous starts this season, there was, what, like a 13-minute delay, and he mentioned – Hey, being out of whack. Um, I'm a little concerned with kind of what's between his ears right now, because reading Lindsay Adler's story this morning, uh, Cole really believed that he was trying to do too much, trying to be too perfect. This sounds to me so much like a pitcher who's in his own head more so than anything else. It doesn't sound like he's hurt. The velocity has been okay. Um, so I'm a little concerned one with paying a guy like that to be the guy And that guy coming out there and saying, well, there was a slight delay. Oh, it was cold. Oh, it was this. And then you watch the juxtaposition of a Max Scherzer, who had a no-hitter going until I think of the sixth inning, continues to push himself to get into the seventh, knowing it's a doubleheader. That's what you pay those guys to do, right? This isn't Nestor Cortez we're talking about that dropped a clunker to a Detroit team that's, by the way, ravaged right now with injuries. This is supposed to be the guy that finds a way to get five innings, even when he doesn't have his best stuff. And so watching that game, I think I'm concerned just based on some of the the history with him. I mean, he hasn't shown up in big moments before. It seems like it's a little bit of a pattern for him. You know, I can tell you that his, you know, his stuff plus is still excellent. I can tell you that his pitches are still moving great. And I can give you sort of standard excuse lines. I, I do have a little bit of worry because, you know, one thing that you noticed in the start last night, and this might start out sounding like an excuse, it was cold. You know, he was he was having trouble commanding his pitches, I think. But, you know, his story is part of this whole sticky stuff enforcement saga, you know, and, and he is one of the more prominent people. He's one of the people that, one of the few people that has like fielded a question in front of the TV cameras about it and, and biffed. <laughs> I'd have to say <laughs> on yes. that answer when he was like basically like yeah we've just this is something that's been handed down from our forefathers um you know the, the there was this whole debate about whether or not sticky stuff is for command or if it's for stuff it seems like in Cole's case what he's missing the most from it is command um because the stuff for the most part is there but he's he's not hitting his locations and in a in a cold day like that when he's looking for something to help him with location he just he doesn't have that sticky stuff anymore so i just uh i think that he's going to either have to outstuff this or find some locations that he's okay missing in that's something that uh, Zach Greinke and and Max Scher- actually Max Scherzer told told me all about this where he says that like you know command is not hitting my spots exactly we know from command research that hitters pitchers miss their targets by 13 inches on average so it's not about hitting my target exactly it's about hitting my target or missing in a good direction if I'm going to aim high do I hit high exactly or do I miss high higher rather than miss low and in the zone. 
And so that's something that Max Scherzer, I think, has perfected. He's found places where he can miss towards. He, he can found places where, you know, he can target and miss in the right direction. And I think Cole needs something like that because when he misses now, he's missing in the wrong direction. Yeah, if you go back to June 1st of last year, Garrett Cole, uh, among 75 starters with at least 100 innings pitched since then, Garrett Cole is 40th in war. So he's... You know, in there with Joe Musgrove and Framber Valdez and Alec Manoa, and those are those are good pitchers. It's the homers, but right? Yeah, it's the homers. One point six two homers per nine during that span. Still striking a ton of guys out. Walk rate isn't out of control. Bad stuff, as you mentioned. The velo, at least, is still there. The bar is unbelievably high because of the contract and because we know the talent ceiling is best pitcher in the league. So when someone who can be the best pitcher in the league pitches like a top thirty starter. People are going to ask a lot of questions. That's just that's part of what comes with the territory. As far as the the judge and Gallo point you made before, you know, I'm much more worried about Gallo than Judge for kind of obvious track record sorts of reasons. You do wonder, uh, and I think this is something you may have looked at in the past when we're talking about players who either are playing for a new long term contract or guys who just signed a long term contract, how much their uh, their willingness to chase. Their chase rate goes up. Right. Chase rate will fluctuate just based on extra effort being put in to try and make something happen. So I wonder if if part of what's going on with Judge is trying to grip the bat a little tighter and improve on every single swing, on every single pitch that he's worth every single penny that he wants to eventually get. When he arrived, when, when Gallo arrived in New York on the trade, he had the second best chase rate on the Yankees. And right now he has a below average chase rate Hmm. so you know he's really he's really pressing (laughs) maybe it's the early just early season stuff and it's not like you know whatever is written in stone but we're seeing there's actual signal there there's something that's telling us something one more question for you guys do you guys think that garrett cole is well suited in the new york market that's what Hmm. i've kind of been wondering after i've seen some of this stuff i'll jump in real quick i i don't think there's any performance-related reason, if you look back since he got there in 2020, I don't think you can look at him and throw him in the same conversation as players that have gone there in the past and just look totally different than they were before they got there. I think the problem that Garrett Cole might have, at least in terms of how he's answering questions and conducting himself in in post-game interviews, he might be telling us too much. (laughs) It might just be like, hey, man, like you got to put a little, a little bit PR thoughtful. spin on this. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. you're just like a little bit too direct. Sometimes telling the complete and honest truth will just piss people off. And I think <laughs> the value of not telling us everything to him might be greater than the value of, of being completely open with all of like, us. Right? Yes. Think about the the best, not the best, the worst interviews, but the best, the face of the franchise people in New York. Derek Jeter at all. Even A-Rod was good at this. They were yeah. great at not saying anything. Right. They played yes. it like politicians. I mean, that, that's oh my what, God. That, it's just handling the media in a way where... It's awful as a, as a writer, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, it's the worst. It's not fun to cover. It's not fun to read. But I think it keeps you... It keeps you from reaching the peak levels of scrutiny because you said the thing that was true. You said the thing that was too honest. Yeah, the start was delayed 12 minutes and that made me uncomfortable. That's the wrong answer in New York. Say something else. Say that you you had a pebble in your shoe. Yeah, because I mean, then it's a whole week bad. of how soft you are on the Right. On the I mean, like, yes. so you just have to find something else. It, you don't have to lie. You just don't have to tell us 
the specific truth in that case. I think that's what's going on with Garrett Cole more than can't handle the pressure of, of the contract, can't handle the pressure of New York. I think a lot of that tends to be overblown, but it's interesting that Gallo in particular with that chase rate has changed so much from the time prior to when he was in New York to where he's been at since he got there. Yeah, I'm doing a whole piece about play discipline and I went straight to him on that entire Yankees team to talk about play discipline and he was talking about how it was innate and he's always been able to tell balls from strikes and in fact his father used to yell at the at the little league umpire if he ever took a took a strike because he knew his son wouldn't take a strike (laughs) be nice to the umpires yes yes, at all levels especially umpire got punched this this week don't punch umpires don't punch referees some little league umpire got punched yeah, you're 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 doing it wrong if you're if you're getting that upset with the yes. umpires. Yes, you are. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I want to ask you both, which teams surprisingly fast start are you actually buying? You know, it's possible that you're only buying them as a, a 500 team and you thought they'd be below 500 or a wild card contender and you thought they were a non-contender before. There were three that caught my eye just based on record. You can go off the board. You don't have to choose any of these three as your actual answer to this question. We have the A's who are seven and five entering play on Wednesday, the Cubs who are at six and five entering play on Wednesday, and the Rockies who we have laughed at in the history of the three of us doing a podcast together, probably as much as we've laughed at any franchise. Maybe the Mets are right there as the the silver medalist in that contest because, well, they're the Mets and we talk about them a lot. But eight and three are the Rockies entering Wednesday. And I was interested in, in your thoughts on this because they also extended Kyle Freeland. Five years, $64.5 million. So they're doing something in Colorado. I don't know if we necessarily agree with the something they're doing, but they're, they have a plan. It's their plan, uniquely their plan. <laughs> Maybe it's working. Probably it's not working. But Britt, you can go first. Any of those teams or some other team that has really surprised you with a fast start that you actually are believing in? I, I'm not going to buy any of those teams. Uh, <laughs> I, I reject like, the uh... premise of the question. <laughs> go back to your corner, nerd. i mean look at how many games we've played we're analyzing like 13 games 11 (laughs) games um i I can't buy any of those teams maybe if we get again to memorial day i'll feel a little differently um i tell you who i am buying though this is probably not a surprise but the mets are nine and three they swept the giants in a double header yesterday i know before that they hadn't really played anybody but like we talked about with the yankees this is still the time of the year you have to beat up on the bad teams They've done this without Jacob DeGrom. 
They've done this kind of concerned about Max Scherzer's hamstring. The back half of that rotation has stepped up. Pete Alonso has been this like great DH. I'm buying the Mets because they actually expect to win, it seems like. And Buck Showalter has been a huge difference maker. I'm buying them. I think the Angels, who have the same record as the A's, look like they could be headed in the right direction. I know Ken Rosenthal wrote a column, a strong column earlier this year, that he feels like they'll make the playoffs. Uh, I still am not really sure they're going to be able to hold up over a season, pitching-wise, long-term. But I look at the Rockies, and I look at the A's, and I look at the Cubs, and I think, the Cubs, first off, are only, what, like one game over 500 right now? They're 6-5? and five. That's not, I don't know if I would say that's, like that's unexpected. Yeah. But, yeah, no. I mean, but you look at some of these records, right? Like, you know, the A's are 7-5, and five, right? So they lose two games and everything changes, right? Tampa Bay 6-6, six and six, Toronto 6-5. Six and five. Everything is just so condensed. Like, one bad series, goes, you go from first to last. So I have a really hard time buying any of those teams. I will say I am surprised uh that the tigers haven't started better though like i said they've had a lot of injuries i'm surprised that oakland has held its own they did win a series against the rays i'm surprised that the rays haven't played a little bit better but again it is so early i hate even sitting here and analyzing when a good week a bad week is going to change literally everything in in the statistical category right now i mean the a's avoided sweeps at the hands of the phillies and jays on the road which Based on our expectations for that team, it was surprising. Winning a series against the Rays, big. They've got a, a series they need to do well in, and they're doing well so far against the Orioles right now. Talk about a team that has to make all of its layups if they're going to exceed expectations. Oakland is that kind of team for sure, because as teams get more and more looks at some of these younger pitchers that are breaking in, I'm very curious to see if they have any success compared to what they've had early on this season. The Angels, by the way, I'm, I'm on board with Ken. I've gone on the record in this pod. Like I, I think the Angels can be a legit playoff team. I am increasingly concerned about Joe Madden, though. The decision to walk in a run with Corey Seager at the plate didn't make sense to me at the time. It made even less sense to me after reading the piece that Ben Clemens wrote over at Fangraphs, where if you put peak Barry Bonds at the plate, it was still a bad idea mathematically to issue an intentional walk with the bases loaded in that instance. And I'm I'm just wondering if if we're at this point where Joe Madden being himself is actually a, a net negative in terms of how he's managing a team. He did it for reasons, including an attempt to avoid the big blow, very scientific, but not rooted in math, and to just stir up the group, quite frankly. I was in the press box when he did it in 08. He did it in 08 in Tampa Bay to Josh Hamilton. Also, people forget right. about that. They go right to the Barry Bonds reference, but he's done it before. Um, here's the thing. Does everything have to be rooted in math? No, it doesn't. But you shouldn't do objectively dumb things to fire your team up. You can do and, reasonably yes. smart things to fire your team yes. up. That and who is he that. shaming? He's shaming Austin Warren. Very weird. Yes. That was, it was very weird. Austin it was very Warren weird. is now like on the mound being like, oh God. Like everyone's talking about me, you know. They're talking about how I can't get this guy out, and like, who are you shaking up? Mike Trout is. Did you see that video of Mike Trout like realizing what was going on? Trout's face. I mean, Shohei Otani, Anthony Rendon. You're taking. What do you think those guys are yeah. actually doing? It's April. Do you think they're not trying? Do you think Mike Trout is not trying hard? 
that's a tactic that if you were going to do it, you would do it with a below 500 team in the second half of the season when you're just like, it, it doesn't matter. It's not consequential. Or maybe a team playoffs. of young guys where you're yeah. just like, they're not, they, maybe they, you don't see enough fire or something, but like Trout, Rendon, and Otani, like what? I don't, yeah. I don't I get it. I forget in 08 what the circumstances were, but it was peak Josh Hamilton. I think they were worried he may have done something earlier in the game. It wasn't nearly as big of a deal because stats and analytics and Twitter wasn't nearly as big of a deal. <laughs> right. But I do remember this vividly happening. In but Tampa he's also, Bay. yeah. And what what was the result? I'm gonna look. I can't remember. I'm gonna look it up. But I I think there was more of a specific reason. He was like a raised killer, maybe. Uh, <laughs> very very scientific. The <laughs> Angels came back and won the game. It didn't hurt them in terms of outcome. It just seemed like. A terrible yeah. means to an end. I, I get it. You want to fire up the team in some way. That isn't it. That's the wrong way to do it. Yeah. I mean, even the best hitters are going to make out 60% of the time. And you just gave him that base. Yeah. You know, is there a fast start team you're buying into so far? Or are you rejecting my question? Same as Brit. Well, I just wanted to poke holes in at least two of the teams you mentioned. <laughs> it's easier to do that. <laughs> hate, I only named questions. three, so go ahead. You can you can get the cover all if you want. Well, no, I think I, I might actually uh, have something I like about the third team. The first team, the A's, I'm sorry. The lineup is super bad. Horrible. It's super bad. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit this. I left the game in the seventh, right before they scored two runs. I, I have no regrets because they scored the two runs with like a little baby blue single and a little seeing eye thing up the middle. But the reason I left was the middle of the order was up and the middle of the order was Christian Betancourt, Seth Brown. Ah, who was it? Sean Murphy had already been up. Billy McKinney? I, I have total res- Yes, Billy McKinney. The look of disgust on your face right now if you're watching oh. us on YouTube. You, you seem oh, disgusted. Dude, that is not... A middle of a lineup. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Bill McKinney's been on 8 million teams. Christian Betancourt was like in a different country last. I think he was in Japan or something last year. And it's not like he came back because he was the MVP over there. He just came back. No, he didn't go. He didn't go to a different league, have an Eric Thames sort of renaissance and then come back with a lot of excitement. He just came back, just came back, you know, and uh, and I guess, you know, Seth Brown ended up winning the game with like a seeing eye, you know, two run single. But uh, Seth Brown is projected to have like a like a 600 OPS. the uh, also the the Rockies, uh, I looked at this, they have they're projected to have two two uh, hitters that are above average, Chris Bryant and CJ Crone. And I mentioned projections because that's the best way, especially early in the season, to kind of take a little bit of the like knowledge that we have now and then wrap it up into what we the knowledge we had before and sort of have an idea of like what this player is like. Um, I will say that I like that the Rockies found Connor Joe, um, but uh, him and Charlie Blackman and Ryan McMahon at this point are more sort of average to below average guys. Than they are like this is not the Blake Street Bombers. They didn't bring back the Blake Street Bombers. They didn't like lean into the offensive thing. And uh, with the pitching side, like they're just re-signing guys that have been there forever. How are they going to be better? Was re-signing the guys that have been there before? You know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't hate the Freeland deal. I don't hate the Marquez deal. But how are they getting better just having the same guys? So uh, I don't, I don't really buy that one. The Cubs. Um, 
I find them a little bit interesting, and I don't want to force a segue on you, but I will give you a preview of my hitter of the week. My hitter of the week is Seiya Suzuki. And there's a great piece uh, on The Athletic. Moni has a great piece on Seiya Suzuki, um, just about how he does not give away at bats. He has the best chase rate in the majors right now nah, he's back on chase rate yeah <laughs> back on chase rate but o swing he, percentage he is o swing he has he he just he does not give away at bats he does not swing at any balls and then you know this week he hit three homers so it looks like the, the power is porting over and the reason that i i think that matters is that they're like kind of looking for a new foundation in that lineup um and i think you know with suzuki and Contreras. They do have that, um, and uh, maybe you know Ian Happ as a as a as a third third wheel there. They're still looking for a little more offense. They're still looking for you know a little more pitching. And I wish the pipeline was producing some young players, some more young players than it is. Uh, but um, I could see them being like a 500 team that sneaks into the playoffs with a with a hot month. By the way, I did find the Rays instance. They were up by four in the ninth inning mm. um, when they walked Hamilton, and they went on to win the game. So they just really didn't want to give up the game-tying homer. Correct. Hmm. Yep. But they were willing to bring the game-winning run to the plate. Right. <laughs> yeah, but I think if you look at that Rangers team, Josh Hamilton may have been the scariest guy by far. Mm. I mean, That's 2008 Josh Hamilton was kind of in a class of his own in terms of offensive production. And even if even if the other quality bats they had were good, there was there was a gap there. But I I'm still not on board with the strategy. Even in those circumstances, I don't like that. Don't don't walk in runs. You know, so and some soft factors, like why would, you know, he be a raise killer, you know, there's the whole history of the raise drafting and and, you know, Correct. maybe he maybe he actually had you know, maybe he actually had grief with them you know what i mean like maybe he actually was like i don't like the way you treated me and now every time i come to town i'm gonna whoop your butts so you know it's possible that was part sorry my my power is going out right no, no, good, good explanation no, I, i'm i'm less enraged about the 2008 instance than probably this one fair for a few reasons i think we also have a lot more information at our disposal um i think it's a little bit of a different game but yes, it is interesting. But Joe Madden is one of the probably longest tenured managers right now, right? He's one of still of that old guard. Yeah, he's got tenure. I don't think, but I think that he also doesn't deserve, uh, you know, there's some, there's some like sort of aura to him as like a new wave, you know, progressive, uh, data friendly manager. I, I don't think he deserves that aura anymore. Well, yeah, I think it was no. different when when he was the the young cool kid among managers, but that right. was before Kevin Cash and Craig Council and you know the that that wave of of managers Alex Cora, right? That those Dave guys Rose. weren't managers yet when Joe Madden was new. So, you have to sort of turn back the clock to appreciate yeah. the the cool factor of of Joe Madden relative to his peers. He he was groundbreaking back then, and now you look at him and you're like, "Ooh, this is this is like that computer that's 12 years yes. old. It was a great computer when <laughs> no, I bought it. Yeah, Not sure yeah. it's very good now. Yes. I do and, oh, like, wait, you know, we did that story. They were the first team that really looked at data and had a QA coach and everything. So they were 
Yeah, we even talked to Madden for that story, didn't we? Yeah, they haven't yeah. evolved. He hasn't evolved quite right. as much as the rest of the sport, but he was considered. They were definitely what the Rays were doing was cutting edge. Now the thing that separates him the most is like his little his sort of spring training antics, where he like you know gets a DJ and like you know uh, has like uh, a clown come into you know into spring training or whatever. He just always has like mm. some weird thing he does, yeah. but. I think some people roll their eyes at that stuff, too. I'm in for the DJ, out for the clown. So I like where his head's at on that. I think trying to keep people happy and engaged in the workplace, that's good. That's a that's a step in the right direction. Walking and runs, a step in the wrong direction. So even, we're neutral right now at Madden. But I'm watching very closely at this point. Uh, Eno wanted to give his Hitter of the Week award to Seiya Suzuki. Britt, do you have a candidate for Hitter of the Week for the second week? It was Suzuki. I mean, ah, he won the, I think he I won the Player you. of the Week too. Did yeah. he win? I think he also. I think he also won NL Player of the Week. It was uh, yeah. This this one was a pretty. We're on a slightly different schedule though, you know, because we're Wednesday to Wednesday. On it's such voting. a weird, such a weird <laughs> a weekly award to give away midweek. I think Manny Machado and Francisco Lindor also receive votes for this week. I mean, Machado right now without Tatis has to. Shoulder, a little bit of a heavier load. We got a lot of Padres slumping to begin the season. I don't expect Trent Grisham and Luke Voigt and those guys to continue struggling the way they have. Oh, and by the way, uh, I got to get your thoughts. Who wins the Luke Voigt-Tommy Pham fight that may or may not happen at some gym in San Diego? Do you guys have clear sides on that one that you like? Luke Voigt definitely wins that one. He could deadlift like... 600 pounds. Voight's big, but, but Tommy Pham's out here talking about Muay Thai, and I, I think the right. technique what if he for Tommy Pham might be better. What if he grapples Luke he Voight? Is, he is scrappy. That's and Pham's not small. And it's a good fight. I'm glad you brought up Manny Machado, though. I don't think people realize how good he's been very quietly, been really, really excellent to kind of keep that team afloat while he had like five hits one night. Like he's he's really been kind of the It's been the pitching in him, really. <laughs> Yeah, like he's really been the only reason that that team has kind of stayed afloat. And I think people are always kind of like down on him for whatever reason. Um, but I think we rated him pretty high on our player tiers, right? You know, people think that he might have a really big year. A couple people that we talked to at least thought that he could be poised to have a pretty good year. And that talent is still there. The talent is just a question of like, can he sustain it over a season? Can he play to that level? Um he seems almost energized, I feel like, having the team be his team for a while. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily fair to say, but it sort of seems like that as an outsider. And he, I mean, as a nerd, he he underperformed some of his batted ball stats for the last couple of years. So, you know, there's like that feeling that like, okay, someday, some year he's going to overperform his bat. You know, some, the, the, yeah. the pendulum has got to swing here. Uh, because he makes contact, you know, with the best of them. And, you know, 28 homers last year was not uh, super impressive. So I think he could, you know, have the mid-30s homers this year. And, you know, if if the Padres have a good story around him, I think he could get MVP votes, uh, maybe maybe even win it. I mean, this is he does have MVP-type talent. If he has a year where he hits 330 with 35 homers uh, and, and sort of, you know, wills the Padres into the playoffs... Yeah, I could definitely see that uh, that happening. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokers Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Pitcher of the week for this week, Kershaw, Scherzer, Scherzer, Kershaw. Is there anyone else in the consideration here? Oh, yeah, there's other people. Of course, there always are. <laughs> Max Freed, although I guess he, he lost two games. So, But, I mean, he's throwing like 96 now. Uh, Carlos Rodon, the, the, the war leaders, I guess, are Max Freed, Carlos Rodon, and Joe Musgrove. Joe Musgrove went 2-0 and with a 1.89 ERA. So, you know, I think he at least deserves an honorable mention. Yeah, he deserves a mention. Kershaw, it's hard because had he kept going, he probably. <laughs> oh, no. No, seven we landed in the discourse <laughs> on, on opening day, his opening Could day. A... I'm giving this to Kershaw. I think we have to give it to Kershaw. 20 Ks through two starts. All 12 right, innings right. total. I know the second start wasn't as good as the first. I wanted to get some other names out there. I don't, I'm not going to argue against Kershaw. All right. Freed pitched really well, though. It's nice to see that the bounce back from him after a disappointing first start. Anybody else on your radar for Pitcher of the Week, Britt? No, I think that does it. Honestly, you know, Scherzer, obviously, if he had completed the no-hitter last night, would have been maybe a case to be in front of Kershaw. Uh, the Mets rotation as a whole, if we're just going, like, team rotation, like, I don't think anybody has been as impressive, um, especially without DeGrom as the Mets. But I'm I'm good with Clayton Kershaw getting it. I just... Uh, I don't know. That whole thing is going to bother me. I get why it was done, but man, could we could have seen history and we'll just never know. The not knowing is what gets me. I'm firmly on the side, though, that would rather see a healthy Clayton Kershaw in August and September and October than run the risk of he threw 110 pitches in his first start and messed up his arm again. Like I, I'd rather they were a big at the time, too. So it wasn't a close yeah. game. No, no reason to push it, given the conditions. So I, I understand frustration, but I think they made the right call in that instance. All right. So Clayton Kershaw, our week two winner for pitcher of the week. He'll be getting a, a 1988 uh, pack of tops cards, which probably costs about eight cents. Really cheap award. Suzuki's getting some 94 tops, which look terrible and do have a a four player uh, Jeter card that hopefully he will find inside that package. No guarantee those cards actually make it to the players. but We will try. We <laughs> will try. <laughs> One more thing to get to before we go. We have Brits bold predictions after uh, Britt and I really harshly judged Eno on this show a few weeks ago for his bold predictions. Um, I, I shared mine on an episode of Rates and Barrels, I think just prior to opening day, and mine were completely outlandish. Uh, my Kevin Smith one just looks atrocious already. So Britt, you can't do worse than I did in terms of saying just completely impossible things that even two weeks into the season looked like there's no chance they're <laughs> going to happen. Okay. 
think I might win in terms of most hot sauce, but I also will lose in terms of fewest predictions that came (laughs) true. So let's have your bold predictions. What's your first bold prediction for this 2022 season? So I'm going to try to not let the first two weeks. I had these predictions already, and I'm going to try to like not go back on them now, even though I missed last week. And some of them, some of them already look foolish. I was going to say that Buxton stays healthy and wins the AL MVP, and the guy can't stay healthy. Well, the good news is, <laughs> it fortunately it seems doesn't like a minor seem like that injury, injury right? is as serious yeah. as it appeared when he walked off the field right away. That looked. Yeah. Like, the immediate thought was, uh oh, something popped and it's an ACL and the season's over. And fortunately, he could be back maybe by the weekend. So I think that still holds as a prediction you can use. I'm right in the middle. I, I actually thought this was possible looking at odds maybe a month or so ago. He had pretty long odds at the time, maybe like plus 4,000, plus 5,000. And I thought this is this is plausible. This is the type of long shot bet you can reasonably make. I'm going to give you three out of five bottles of, of hot sauce for that bold prediction. I, I like it. I think it's bold, um, but it's not going to like you know burn your face off bold. I agree. You know? I agree. Yeah. All right. Okay. So agreement on the first one. Good. Good bold prediction. Good start. Okay. Thank you. Um, also, trying to not change based off this first week that makes me look stupid. The Detroit Tigers make the playoffs. Ooh. I'm going to crack That's that one up here. to yeah. Four, if we have four or five bottles of sauce on that one. I know you like the Tigers, Britt, but I do. I, I think did. It, I think it was a four. <laughs> it was a four before the first pitch was thrown. I think with Casey Mize dealing with an arm injury, Matt Manning having a little bit of shoulder stuff. I think it's five out of yeah. five if you're sticking with that right now, because the problem with the Tigers, even though they have a lot of young talent, I don't think they have good enough pitching depth to withstand long-term injuries to guys in that rotation. I think that would be. That would be the thing that craters them and keeps them under 500 if they don't have a healthy Mize and Manning for most of the season. Yeah, that's that's spicy. They're projected to be the eighth worst team in baseball. Okay, I got another spicy one then. Uh, the Yankees miss the playoffs. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I like hey. how Brits are all more realistic than mine, and they're still <sighs> spicy, which means they're better bold predictions across the board. They they satisfy. <laughs> Both things that make a bold prediction a good bold prediction. Even given their start and their issues with scoring runs, actually, uh, the Yankees are currently projected to be the fourth best team in baseball. Yeah, yeah, that that to me off the cuff feels at least like a four out of five on the on the yeah. bold scale. I'm going Thank five, you. full full ghost pepper on that one. But wow, <laughs> thirteen bottles of hot sauce Let's see on those if she three gets projections. Spicier. Buckshaw Walter wins comeback, wins manager of the year. Not that spicy. Not as spicy as the Yankees one, no. No? Because, no, because, uh, let me see here. He is in a perfect situation. That, to me, is an award designed for narrative. Right. And he goes yeah. into a clown show franchise and just makes them <laughs> and they're projected to be the second best team in baseball. So right, like, they're supposed they're to win. Probably going to make the playoffs. If they make the playoffs, then it's all you know. Oh, Buck, Buck did it. If, if it looks like Buck keeps them from being clowns this year, he wins because it was the perfect situation to walk into to win <laughs> Manager of the Year. So I think it's two. I don't. I don't think it's a layup. I think it's a two out of five for me. Yeah, not that yeah. spicy. All right, Vlad Guerrero Jr. winning the MVP. Probably not that spicy. But still, I think it would be very tough. Yeah. I'm going to go with two bottles on that one, too. The You know, because Otani, you know, there's a little bit of, I think there's always fatigue, you know, with the guy who won last year. 
So Otani has to be better than he was last year, I think, to win the MVP again. All right. I'm at one bottle of hot sauce on Vlad Jr. <laughs> Vladito is always up near the top of the odds. One of the favorites. Like right, right, right. <laughs> you got any more? Okay. Do you want to try to get yeah, back got, to where got, you were? Because you were crushing it. I was crushing. I only shared three. So if you only had your first three, you beat me. The fourth and fifth ones have lowered your average now. So I think this one makes or breaks where you finish in the uh, bold prediction ridiculousness standings. Hot sauce standings. Okay. I got one more. Dylan Bundy. Leads the Angel staff and wins with du- and has double digit wins. These are the twins staff and wins. Yeah, sorry, the yeah, twins. Yeah. Mm. He has looked early mm. on like maybe he could be a guy. Yeah, and it's all he was never all a fastball. Guy I think it's an easy easy four for me with arguably room for five. I feel like I'm I'm going down on the sauce on this one because I don't like wins as a category. But he also hasn't won double-digit a game since 2017, so it would Correct. be it would be a big turnaround. Mm. Yes. So he leads the team in wins, and it's leads a double-digit total. Wins. Yes, yeah, that's that's spicy enough. That's at least a four. Spicy. I think yeah. it's all. I think the other reason it would be a four for me is that I don't like their other starters that much. <laughs> I think that's the thing that's working True. against that being a Making five a out of five. five. Yeah. But a four, that's really good, and a. It's a great high note. Those were great bold predictions. Britt did a much better job with bold predictions than I did this year. <laughs> I'm already just embarrassed at my own my own output in uh, that particular that particular endeavor. But uh, we have to go. Uh, before we go, I should say you can get a subscription to The Athletic for $1 a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash baseball show. You can find Britt on Twitter at Britt underscore Giroli. You can find Eno at Eno Saris. Find me at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Friday. You've always got the green light at the 3-0 show. 